Hello, welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious food and travel writer who's toured and tasted her way around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I talk to the people who make travelling and eating such a delicious adventure. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Extra Virgin. This one goes out to all the restaurateurs, cafe owners, bar owners and catering companies who've been doing it really tough for the past 18 months. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that it will be business as usual uninterrupted by lockdowns in the very near future. However, whether it's a result of the pandemic or not, the truth is that most hospitality venues could do with a little boost, a bit of promotion to get their business in the public eye and keep it there. But how do you do it? Navigating media, social media, and coming up with ideas that work can be overwhelming. So today we're talking to an expert who's going to demystify it all for us and tell us how you can keep your venue top of diners and drinkers' minds, as well as how to deal with negative reviews, whether using influencers is a sound business strategy, and more. Brooke Burns is one of only a handful of specialist hospitality PR experts in Australia and has kindly agreed to share her extensive knowledge today. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks for agreeing to be on Extra Virgin. Thank you so much for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to specialise in hospitality PR. So I have been doing PR for 20 plus years now. So I started uh, studying it. So I did, I did it at university, I did PR and marketing. And then I spent the first mm, 10 to 11 years of my career in television publicity. So that is essentially getting um, journalists to write about the television shows that I was promoting. So I did that in Perth for a couple of years because that's where I studied. And then I moved to London for four or five years and did the same thing there. And then I moved to Sydney and worked in Channel 10 doing just that. And it was when I was at Channel 10, I guess it was kind of towards the end of my time there, uh, it kind of suddenly dawned on me that I didn't actually love television. I loved working in television, but I didn't really watch television a lot myself. (laughs) And I thought about the things that I do really enjoy. And I thought maybe this is the right time to make a transition into a sector that I had never worked in before. And around about that same time, a job came up at Maryvale. So I started there as PR and communications manager. So it was a pretty incredible first entry into hospitality mm. so I was there for a year and launched I think four or five maybe six venues in that time and then I started my own agency Savannah PR in 2013 so I've been in hospitality since then and it was the best thing to have done because you are working for a company that really is one of the best in Australia and what they do in terms of creating venues you've got those amazing resources of of people that work there loving every second of it wow that's certainly being thrown in the deep end, isn't it, working for Maryvale as your first hospitality job? It was. Look, <laughs> I think it was um, some hugely creative minds and to have the ability to learn and observe and execute at the same time I think was a, a pretty special opportunity and it certainly set me up really well for, for starting my own agency. Well, Brooke, why do venues need to work at keeping their cafes and bars and restaurants in the spotlight? It seems like decades ago, and especially pre-social media days, that it wasn't a thing. You just opened your restaurant and people came. But it seems like today hospitality venues either need to learn yet another skill or to outsource it to be able to survive. It's a really competitive market out there and you need to be doing everything you possibly can to make sure your brand is top of mind. If not with journalists, then just with your local area and people that live around your cafe or your bar or whatever it may be. 
Mm, yeah. I think the reality is that we have got more platforms available to us to absorb information from as as consumers. Ten years ago, we didn't have those platforms. So, you know, you may have utilised PR back then, you may have utilised word of mouth, you maybe did local area marketing. So with the development of these new digital platforms, it makes sense to be able to utilise them. I guess then the challenge comes is as a business owner, especially as a small business owner, if you don't have the the budget to be able to outsource the management of PR or social media elsewhere, it just becomes an added element of the huge number of things that you need to be on top of. So it's it's certainly far more challenging now than it would have been 10 years ago from that perspective. Mm. So social media has really added to that pressure to, to keep up, right? Certainly, yeah, it does. And although social media can be very time consuming, there are there are ways to navigate it in a way that is a little bit more time efficient and a little more simply, but absolutely it certainly adds a another whole dimension of tasks you've now got to be on top of. Mm. How effective is it in actually increasing profitability? Is it is it just a way of promoting your venue's visibility and then you have that sort of trickle-down effect or can you actually use it to get people through the door? That's a really good question and I think the only way for a business to be able to know that is to be able to run a promotion or run an offering on social media and then not run on any other platform to be able to judge, right, well, people are coming in and trying this new special because they've seen it on social media. It is really, really hard to track whether a person is coming in because they have seen something on social media, whether they read an article that ran in a publication three months ago and it's been on the hit list of restaurants or bars to go to, whether they had word of mouth the previous week from a friend, um, the reality is is very, very difficult to track unless you are doing something very, very specific and only crossing, uh, only putting it on social media. It, it is very effective, I think, in terms of building that awareness. You just can't track where that awareness has come from. I think, you know, the reality is I think there's something like 80% of Australians are active on social media. So there is no doubt that it's going to increase the awareness of your business. How that tracks into sales is very, very tricky to, to understand. And I guess it's not always an immediate thing either, is it? Absolutely, yeah. You know, just like you're reading an article in a, in a newspaper, you might read it and then come in three weeks later, same with social media. You may read an article on in a magazine. You may then see a social media post. You may then see an influencer post. And then after those three things, you think, oh, hang on a second, this is really resonating with me. I might go check it out. I, I guess one of the core questions about how effective, I guess one of the core considerations about whether social media is effective for a business is really whether your target demographic is on social media and the reality is most of Australians are and then also it's how effectively are you using social media you know do you have the time and the money to put into boosting posts or or running ads or scheduling content so if you are not able to manage that in a way that is consistent and and I, I guess in a way that is going to benefit your business in terms of making sure your messaging is on point and your imagery is on point, then it is not going to be effective for you. If you just have an Instagram account and you're popping up images and a little bit of copy to accompany that every now and then, then it certainly is not going to be an effective mm. tool for you. What, what would you advise owners to put aside in terms of blocks of time per week, for example, to work on their social media? 
So my first recommendation would be uh, not to do it weekly, we do it monthly. I think it's a lot easier to plan out a month in advance. A week is something that, you know, before you know it's Monday again or it's Friday again and you're having to rethink about social media. So my first piece of advice would be to sit down and, and think about the month ahead. And I think you could probably spend maybe two hours, maybe two to three hours a month. And in that time, you could think about what it is that you want to post you can make sure you've got an imagery or you can you can brief in a photographer. You can schedule those posts. You can actually write them up and then you can put them into your program or whatever you're using and, and then you can have them automated. So from a time perspective, it actually doesn't take a lot of time. What you do need to think about is what it is you want to communicate to people and what and look, I'm certainly not a social media expert. My, you know, at Savannah PR, I very much focus on media relations, getting media coverage, but social media is such a huge part of it. So I tend to give my clients an overview on social media and then direct them to a specialist to execute that. But that being said, you do need to think about what's called content pillars for your venue. So let's say you are a cafe and you want to be known for your coffee, you want to be known for your bottomless brunches, you want to be known for your bottled cocktails or whatever the four or five things are that you really want people to connect with that venue, that essentially become your content pillars. So when you're thinking about your content for a month, let's say doing two posts, maybe three posts a week, you need to make sure that those content pillars are then spaced out. So you're not doing three posts in regards to coffee in a row, and then you're doing two about food and then another three about coffee. So if you plan a month in advance, you can plot it out and go, right, on Monday of the first week, I'm going to do coffee and then I'm going to do food and then I'm going to do bottled cocktails. And the next week, you know, you can kind of move those around. So by the end of that month, you've got three posts about coffee, you've got three posts about food, you've got, you know, it's split up appropriately. And if you can do that in advance, it allows you to be more strategic about what those messages are that you want to communicate and allows you to kind of take a step back and go, right, I want to really communicate the fact that our beans are from this particular place or the fact that our barista has this much training or whatever it may be and but if you're doing that on the fly or even if you're doing it week to week you become really stressful so I think if you can set aside a couple of hours a month mm. and really plot out then, then that is the best approach. So you talked about programs that will do that for you what what are some of those programs? Look I, I to be honest I use and as I said I don't manage social media for my clients but for my own needs I use Facebook Creator Studio it is free it allows you to um, create your posts and schedule them in advance on Facebook and Instagram. So for me, that's a really good basic entry-level program to use. Then there's things like Later and Hootsuite and a plethora of other ones that uh, might give you a little bit more in terms of analytics. But I think on a on a very simple level, something like Facebook Creator Studio is all you need. Okay, great. And what about images? I mean, is it enough to take photos with your iPhone and post those or do you need to get a professional photographer because obviously the expense of that prohibits it for lots of people yeah I think it really depends on the venue that you have the type of offering that you have and who you're trying to attract if you a restaurant that has a higher spend per head then you're probably not going to get away with a slightly blurry not great iPhone picture because that doesn't reflect the quality of your brand, the quality of your products, your service. There has to be some uniformity between all of those things, between how your venue presents, how your website presents and how your social media presents. There's got to be some kind of similarity there. If you are a smaller business, 
and you're less focused on, you know, people spending a couple of hundred dollars every time they dine, then there absolutely is a space for that. You just want to make sure that it's consistent and that you are communicating whatever message it is that you want to communicate effectively through an image. And by that, I mean, let's say you're a pub and you have a for a function spaces for private events and for birthdays and things like that. If you don't have an image to reflect that, so you don't have an image that shows off how that space can look, if you don't have an image of canapes, if you don't have people chinking glasses, which has been taken at a previous event you've had, then it's really hard to be able to communicate the message of we've got this great space that would work. If you're posting, mm-hmm. posting a picture of a, um, of a hamburger or mm-hmm. two beers and then underneath that you're saying, by the way, we've got this space that's great for functions. There's no connectivity there for mm-hmm. whoever is looking at that. So if you have, have the time and you can take a decent photo, by all means do it. If not, there are some fantastic photographers out there that can produce some really great photos that aren't particularly expensive. So my recommendation would be to do a photo shoot every couple of months, plan your content out. You may not know exactly what you're going to be writing in each post, but you know roughly you're going to have six coffee posts over two months and you're going to have four hamburger posts or whatever it may be. You know that because you can plot that generally out. And then you can brief in the photographer and they can do combinations of those things and shoot a photo- uh, shoot a uh, burger in five different scenarios, one being held, one on a table, one with beer, three burgers in a row, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it really comes down to the quality of photos and if you can consistently produce decent photos yourself, then by all means you should do it. But otherwise I would really look for a cost-effective photographer. Okay. And when you talk about the message that people want to put out there, that will also affect the tone of your posts, right? So if you're a you know, a little cafe, community cafe, you're obviously going to write in a more friendly and intimate way and share things with, with your readers where I guess if you're a sort of more upmarket restaurant, you might be a little bit more formal in the way that you uh, post. Yeah, you're, you're right. You need to think about what your brand is and what your brand represents to to you as a venue and, and to the people that are going to be consuming that brand. And Absolutely right. If you're a really bright, vibrant, cheeky venue, then that should be reflected in your copy. If you're understated and you're elegant, then that should be reflected in your copy. So you really do need to do a a little brand debrief or brand dump, which you can easily do yourself. You can do it with your team and just say, what do you think our brand represents? What words do you think of when you think of our venue? Do you think it's elegant? Do you think it's cheeky? Do you think it's casual? Do you think it's family friendly? And once you kind of identify those core values of who you are, then that needs to be fed through your copy. It needs to be fed through your imagery. It needs to be reflective on your website. And I think people can often get into trouble where they spend a lot of time and energy or money on their website and then they forget about social media or they do a lot of it on social media and their website's crummy. Again, people might click from your your Instagram through to your website. And if your website's not great, then people can go, hmm, I don't know if I want to go and dine there. It doesn't look great. It doesn't mean you've got to spend a lot of money on it. It mm-hmm. just means there's got to be some consistency. And I guess the other way of thinking about that is if your imagery is really bright and summery on your social media, it's really dark on your website and your venue is really dark, again, there's a lack of consistency there. So I think take a step back, have a look at who you are, how you, how you represent yourself, and then make sure that is is kind of weaved through any digital platforms that you might utilise. That's a really good tip. So get your team together, 
have a team meeting, discuss things, find, I guess, keywords that represent your brand. And then, as you say, make it consistent through all of your social media and media platforms. And it's very true what you say about websites. I, if I go to a restaurant website that's disorganized or, or just, you know, not very good, it does make me think, you know, what's going on in the kitchen? Are they as chaotic there? Is the food going to be good? And you know, I have not Absolutely. gone to a restaurant because of their website before. It represents your brand and you do not need to spend $5,000, $10,000 on building a website. You can do it yourself. I have done my website on Wix. Sure, it's not going to compete against a $5,000 or $10,000 website, but it doesn't need to. It needs to be clean. You need to have your menu up there. You need to have your contact details up there. You need to have a little bit of information about who you are and what differentiates you and some links through to some social media. And that's it. You don't need to. You don't need to spend money on that asset necessarily. So it just needs to be clean. And there's a plenty of templates out there on Wix and Squarespace that you can just adopt and slightly tweak. Yeah, and I have websites that I've created on both of those platforms, and I'm certainly not very techy. So if I can do it, you can all do it. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they can. You know, spend. It might take you a couple of hours, but I guess it really comes down to. And this is for any expenditure when it comes to marketing, whether that's social media or PR or creating these digital platforms, is what is the best use of your money? If it's going to take you 25 hours to build a website and you think about how much time, you know, how you know, how your time is valued, is that the best usage of your time? Maybe it would have been better spending $5,000 on getting somebody else to make it so you could concentrate on another part of your business. Mm. Again, sure, PR costs money. But again, if it's going to take you 10 times the time it would for me to do it and I'm going to have a hundred times more chance of getting something across the line then is it worth your time doing it yourself and sometimes it is and sometimes the social media is and you can definitely do PR on your own and you can definitely do websites on your own but you really need to think about how long is this going to take me and this is the best mm. use of my time. Mm. Well I guess the downfall of social media and sites like TripAdvisor, for example, is the ability for anyone to get on there and post a negative review, often not very fair. What's your position on owners replying to those kind of negative reviews? Do you think they should or should they just leave it alone? I think we could probably spend a whole hour, Natasha, talking about <laughs> about negative reviews and, and how they can be handled. And look, I think there's a, a couple of different ways to look at it. The way I choose to look at it is when you are a venue, your customer should be your number one priority. And your customer needs to see that they are your number one priority and that they are your focus. So I'm a believer in responding on, on these platforms. I don't necessarily think you need to respond to everything, but I think you should respond to positive and I think you should respond to negative. So every five positive posts, reply to one of them and say, thank you so much. It was really lovely to get that feedback. We hope to see you in there soon. As a consumer myself, when I see a business engaging on one of those platforms, TripAdvisor, et cetera, I think they care about their customers. They care enough to read through what people are saying about them, the good and the bad. They're taking the time to respond, which means they really value the custom. When it comes to negative reviews, look, there's, there's a spectrum of, of how bad these reviews can be and what to do in those different circumstances. Generally, if it's just a very loose one, my coffee came out this morning, it was cold, or I didn't think my burger tasted really good, I've had better burgers elsewhere, then that can easily just be replied to on that platform because I'm so sorry that experience was not up to our usual standard we hope to see you back in again soon so hopefully we can get you back on board mm. and if it is something more serious then again I would still address online and say we would love to find more about your experience again it doesn't live up 
to the, our usual standards, we're going to contact you privately directly so we can find out a little bit more information and get to the bottom of it. Again, if I'm a consumer and I'm reading through the reviews, that makes me go, okay, again, A, they take it seriously. Whether that happened or not, no one's to know. But mm -hmm. all I can see as a consumer is that a person is taking that seriously. You can take it offline. If you recognise that was indeed a problem, you had a really, there was a really poor service from a waiter and you know as a business owner that that particular waiter got fired for something completely unrelated later that day. So you know that anyone that was served by that waiter was bound to have a bad experience. You can choose whether you say offline, we're so sorry you had that experience, we'd love to have you back in on us or the next time you're in, let us know, we'll shout you a, a glass of wine or something like that. But generally, I think you should reply. What's your, what do you feel about it? Look, I, I read quite a lot of those reviews because I'm quite interested in, in what restaurateurs choose to do with them. You see, I mean, the long, the crazy ranty ones, I think it's probably better to just make it short and sweet and leave it alone. I don't think there's any point in getting into a, a discussion with somebody who's who's got a bone to pick, who's who's got an agenda because, you know, it's your word against theirs. I think you just politely say, you know, explain to the readers, I guess, of those reviews, mm -hmm. your your side of it without getting too acrimonious with the person who's made the, the complaint. I'm like you. I do like to see restaurateurs responding both to positive and to negative. And, and I like the idea that you've put forward about taking it offline because that puts the onus back on the, on the person who's complained. And I think, you know, often that just shuts them up, but it shows that the venue owner does care. And I think, you know, the other factor is when business owners get very passionate and emotional. Mm, yes, exactly. This is not the space for this. At the end of the day, I know it's really hard to separate it when someone is um, saying something negative about your staff or your food or your service or about your business in general. Mm. I understand that emotionally um, it's very challenging to deal with, but you really need to try and distance yourself from the emotion of it. And if you can't do that, which is understandable, then find someone else that it was in, is in, within that is within your business that maybe is able to look at it a little bit more objectively and calmly and can remove the, uh, the emotion from it. That's a great tip. Let's move on to mainstream media, newspapers and food magazines, for example. How do venues get featured in them? And often you'll see the same ones over and over again. How, how do you get the editor to take notice of your venue and to write a story about it or to do a review of your, of your restaurant or cafe? So journalists write about a venue because it meets their content requirements of what they're writing about. So they may be writing an article on five new bars or they may be writing an article on top 10 places to get a burger. And in order to source the information, they're going to draw on their resources. They might draw on their own personal experiences. They've been out to a couple of places. They love it. They may draw on the resources of their team and say, where have you been? They also then draw on what's come across their plate, for want of a better word, mm -hmm. through their email inbox over the last week or, or couple of months. And I, and then pulling all those together. So the hard thing is how do you get top of mind, like you said? And the reality is you need to be consistently putting information in front of the journalists. So that means pitching. And by pitching, that means, I guess, creating a some information that you send through to a journalist uh, about why your venue should be written about or what it is about your venue that deserves to be written about. And 
and doing that on a consistent basis. So let's say every two to three months. I often pitch stuff to journalists and obviously I'm very experienced in doing this and they won't write about my client for a month or a couple of months. But at the end of that four months, they think, hang on a second, I've just received three pitches over the last six months about that. It is now top of mind for that particular article. I'm going to include them. If I do something once and I never follow up with that journalist or I never do it again, then that's going to sit in their inbox with hundreds, if not thousands of other emails from PRs or directly from venues, and it just gets lost. So it's about the consistency and making sure you're you're putting your venue out there. And lots of venues tend to tag online lifestyle websites in for broadsheet and concrete playground and timeout. They might tag them into their own Instagram post. That doesn't really do a lot, to be honest mm. with you, because the person managing the social media isn't necessarily the person that's going to be writing yes. the article. Yes. So it really does come down to thinking about your venue, think about what it is that you do best. What is your competitive edge? So let's say you have a a burger bar. What is about your burgers that are different to everybody else's? Is it where you source your meat from? Is it your buns? What makes your secret sauce special? What do you do to your fries that nobody else does? And again, you need to take this step back and not think about it from, I've tried every burger in Brisbane or Perth and I know mine are better that's not good Mm. enough you need to add some a validation behind that so that sometimes is the trickiest thing for a small business is to take that step back and go what what really makes my venue stand out and again maybe you need to go to your team maybe you need to go to your friends and family and then once you can identify that that's one way is is emailing a journalist and saying this is my venue this is what we stand for this is what we do this is how we do it differently I would love for you to keep this venue in mind the next time you're writing about new venues or burger bars, et cetera. So that's one way. The other way is to start paying attention to what these online websites are writing about. So take a look at Timeout, Broadsheet, Concrete Playground, The Urban List, Thrillist, Situ, whatever is popular in your city, and just go through the website, see what they write about. And it may be that they are constantly releasing lists of the best places to blah, blah, blah. Mm. Think about how your venue might sit in those. Best whiskey bars, best cocktails, best bottomless brunches, best seafood venues, best waterside venues. The list is endless. So again, think about what categories your venue uh, falls into and then send through to the journalist. Say, hey, I can see you haven't updated your article on best seafood restaurants since 2019. I would love for you to keep in mind my restaurant the next time you're doing that. And here, a couple of other ones you could keep it in mind for. We've got a fantastic brunch. We've got fantastic blah, blah, blah. There's some really simple ways. And in terms of finding out who those journalists are, just go onto the website, have a look to see who else has written those articles before. Mm. I was going to say that's quite important as well, isn't it, to make sure that you send your email to the correct person, to the editor. And, you know, there's a huge turnover of staff in at some of these um, magazines. So it's important just ring and ask the name of the editor or the, the email address or look on their website for the email address so it goes straight to the right person, right? Yeah, always try and send it through to the editor, even if it's just a generic editor at whatever the website may be. Another thing to keep in mind, and this one is hugely annoying, even for me as a PR, is a lot of these online uh, lifestyle websites don't necessarily just use a core team of full-time staff. 
they use contract staff or freelancers to write their articles. So just because you've sent it through to the editor, mm. it could be someone else completely that is writing that story and they're not pulling on the information they've sent through the editor. So you can't possibly know which freelance writers a publication is utilising at any one time. It really is impossible. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. Um, and I certainly get this from clients that say, well, you know, you've been talking to Broadsheet for six months now and they still haven't included us. Or we saw this article go live yesterday in Broadsheet and we weren't included in that. And I looked to see who's written it and it's a freelance. It's a freelance mm. I have never heard of before. So you do have to keep that in mind. But because you can't keep on top of who all those freelance writers are, go to the editor. That's your very best bet. Okay. What about paid content? Some of those sites that you've mentioned also do paid content, sponsored content. It used to be called advertorial, but it seems like the lines are very blurred right now. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but is it worth investing in paid content? I, well, look, this probably gives you some perspective. So, you know, I've had my business for eight years or something now, and I think over that time I probably had, I don't know, 50, 80, 100 clients. And I think two of them have incorporated paid sponsored content into their plan. The reality is hospitality businesses just don't have the money for it. It can cost you five, 10, 15 grand to do one of these, one article, for example. And again, is that the best use of your money? You could spend that same five grand on a PR who could then talk to multiple publications versus just one publication. Mm. You could spend that 5,000 on a social media um, expert who can then you know, look at your social media strategy and devise that for you over a period of months. So should it be considered? It should be considered if you have gone down the avenue, I personally, I think of doing PR and social media and making sure your digital platforms are really strong. And then if you feel there's still a gap in the market and people aren't connecting with what your message is or who your venue is, then it absolutely should be explored. Personally, um, I'm sure these lifestyle websites will hate me for saying it. (laughs) I think because hospitality businesses have such limited budgets, mm. I don't think that would be the best use of your money if you had 5000 to spend in one year. I don't necessarily think. I mean, yes, you'll get great traction with that publication. You'll probably get shared on their social media. I think personally it's better to be spread across a number of different publications than just one. Okay, well, that's a very good definitive answer. <laughs> Another question I have for you, and this comes up a lot with hospitality, obviously, Is influencer marketing something that businesses should be looking at? What value can influencers give to a business? And how do you identify which ones you should work with if you do choose to go that route? Because I know a lot of venues are approached frequently by influencers. How do you sort the wheat from the chaff if you decide to go that way? This is a question that is really layered. So I I very rarely offer influencer engagement to my clients. Some clients ask me about it. And the way I assess whether it's relevant or not for a client is I have a broader look at what they want to achieve. Generally, I think first and foremost, they should be focusing on media relations. They should be getting their venue written about by relevant publications. If I have explored that with a client, I've been working with them for six months or a year, and we feel uh, to the best of our ability, we've done that really, really well. And they still would like to get a certain element of their business exposed and just increase awareness for it. Then I will consider influencer engagement. But it's on a case-by-case basis. Influencers attracted to creating content that is bright and quite over the top. I don't mean kind of eccentric, but their images have to be appealing to people because that's what people are on Instagram for. They're flicking through images. So if you have a venue that has an offering 
that fits into that category, then it could be something you consider. But I certainly would not be prioritising influencer engagement over something like media relations or over having your own solid social media strategy. I guess the other thing to think about with influencers is just because they've got 20,000 followers does not mean that 20,000 people are going to see that post. And it's really easy to work out how many people are likely to see the post. If you if you log on to Instagram on a computer, I don't think you can do this particularly well on a phone, but if you go onto a computer and go to that Instagram account, that person's, the influencer's account, and you hover your, your mouse over top of a post, you'll see how many people have clicked and liked that post. So if you do that over six, 10 posts and then divide that by six or 10 posts, you'll get the average of how many people are commenting or um, are liking that post. And then if you divide that by the total number of followers and times it by 100, you'll get a sense of what percentage of people are engaging with that post. And what you want to be looking for is anything really above 2% is great. That means, and think about that, 2% mm. of people are engaging with that post. They may have 20,000 followers, but if only 2% are engaging with that, again, is 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 that enough? Is that enough to spend $75 on giving two people free food? Is that enough to spend $100 on, you know, of your valued food and drink going that way? So that's one thing to think about is the percentage of engagement. You also need to look at the aesthetics of the imagery. Does that imagery represent how your brand needs to be represented? If they're taking quick, happy snaps that you or I could take photos of, is that a great representation of your brand? Do you want people looking at that photo and going, oh, wow, that's what the food looks like at that venue or that's what the drink looks like at that bar. So you've got to look at the aesthetics um, and whether it's in line with how you want your venue to be portrayed. You need to look at that percentage of engagement. You need to look at your own clientele and work out, are my clientele the kind of people that are going to be on Instagram that are going to be interested in that? If you fit all of those categories and you've got a, a really solid comprehensive social media strategy and you've explored PR, then I would look at it. That's how it kind of fits into my campaign. Mm, it sounds like you probably are, are a more experienced operator to, to if you've done all those other things. It's, it's not something yeah. you should just pick up and do if you're new to, to social media. I don't think so. And I know lots of venues approach direct um, about it, you know, because I'm obviously mm. talking about a proactive campaign where I come on board and it might be an element of it and I proactively approach people. But the majority of the time you're a small business and you can get approached by influencers. And if that's the case, and you do not have money to spend on PR and you don't have time to do it yourself and you don't have time to spend on social media, it can be a way to increase awareness for your venue when you don't have a budget. However, I would still employ, employ the same processes of looking how engaged they are with each of their posts, look at the quality of their content, look at how they write about a venue. Are they actually giving some detail to it are they saying these are the five dishes we had this is what we loved about them or are they just saying oh my god this is a great brunch mm -hmm. you know emoji 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 so have a look at that information you also need to keep in mind that just because you're giving someone a free drinks or a free food it doesn't mean they have to write about your venue positively the only mm. way you can control that is if you are paying them to do it. And then there has to be some contractual agreement where it doesn't mean you ha they have to say something positive, but at least if you pay them, then they would probably come back to you and say, look, we didn't have a very good experience, but this is how, you know, we need to work that in there. So you can't control what they post or the quality of it or necessarily when they post it either. So they may come in and they might, may not post about it for another two or three months. So mm. there's a lot of factors with with influencers. Is it is it is is there a sort of standard payment that you pay influencers? 
apart from so just the free meal? Yeah. So I have never paid influencers in my eight years of having my business. I don't be- I don't believe in it for restaurants and bars. I believe in selecting a if I'm doing a proactive campaign, five to ten really great influencers that probably have anywhere from I mean they could have 2,000 followers but if their percentage of engagement is nine percent and their photos are brilliant I couldn't care less it's more about the quality of what they're going to be producing Mm. as I said I've I've never paid for influencers the only time I go down that track of paying is if it's a brand collaboration so I've worked with food and drink products before and they want to get that particular product written about and then it can range but if you go, do go down that path of paying influence and you do have a venue, it can go from anything from $100 up to, well, I mean, if it's brands and products, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, yeah, a couple hundred dollars. But I, I sincerely think you can find some some solid influencers out there that that you, that will do it for free. Okay, well, that's really good advice. I'm going to go and have a look at my own Instagram and see what my engagement is. I suspect it's prob- <laughs> probably under that 2%. <laughs> this is why it's important to influencers to have a high percentage of engagement because it makes them more appealing for people to utilise them. So it is really important to look at that. And if people are approaching you and they have 0.02% of engagement, the reality is it doesn't matter how many followers they've got, they've got People obviously are not engaging with their content for some reason. It's maybe their photos, it might be their copy. Maybe they don't trust them. So, mm. yeah, there's definitely a lot of factors that you need to consider. That's such a great tip. Brooke, talking about more mainstream PR, the sort of PR that, that you do, I've often heard venues complaining that their paid PR just didn't deliver. And I think that's about expectations. Can you tell us what PR can and can't do? And if you have money to engage PR, even a little, How do you find someone reputable? How do you measure the success? And what's the most cost-effective way of using your money? Okay, so I'll start off by saying, by addressing what they can and they can't do. Look, uh, every PR consultant or agency will have a slightly different offering. What they should be doing first and foremost is delivering media coverage. That's what I feel that should be doing. And then on top of that, there's a number of things. Some of them may offer social media management and strategy. I don't do that. It's just me at Savannah PR, so I don't have the capacity to do the media relations side of things and a few other a few other elements plus that, but many do. You, they can do product send out. So if you're a food or drink brand, you can get those products in the right hand of media, influencer engagement. Generally, if you look at a website, you'll see what their services are. So that kind of addresses what they can and what they can't do. In terms of what you should be looking for, If you Google hospitality PR, Brisbane hospitality PR, Adelaide, wherever you may be, there should be uh, a number of them that come up over the first couple of pages. Look at their websites, look at their social media sites, see how they represent themselves in their band. That's in, in their brand. That's a really good place to start. I would then look at approaching the ones that really appeal to you. Talk to them about your venue. You can do this via email, via phone call. Talk to them about what it is you're trying to achieve. And then just get a sense of what they're like as a human being. You know, do they Mm. seem honest with you? Do they just say, yeah, that sounds great. We can do all of that. We're brilliant. We've done heaps of this before. Does Does that resonate with you? Because you're going to be working with this person for three months or six months, et cetera, and you're investing money in them. So you've, you've got to get a good sense of, of whether you feel they have got your back. I mean, there's a number of times I get approached by clients and and I'm not right for them. Or I look at their social media and I think, you don't need to spend money on PR just now. If you've got $5,000 to spend or 10000 whatever it may be, I think you really need to invest that money first and foremost into making sure your social media is stronger than what it is and to redo your website. And once mm-hmm. that's done, then I'm more than happy to have a chat with you. So get a sense of, of, of what they can offer you and, and how honest they are. 
get them to send through some case studies of, of similar campaigns they've worked on as to what yours would be like, look at what they've achieved in that. They should be outlining what they've achieved in that. Think about what success looks like for you. And that's a question that I always ask new clients when um, when I first get approached is, what does success look like to you? Because what it looks like to me could be very different to what it looks like to you. You could say, I want my venue to have all the A and B personalities and celebrities in the world coming to it. I want to be the place to go. That doesn't align with me and what I do. So I'm not the right PR for them. They might say, I want to be in Gourmet Traveller and Delicious and Qantas and GQ and Vogue. That's what I want to be. And then as a PR, you, you should be looking and going, well, is that going to be realistic? If it's not, I would say to them, that is not realistic. And these are the reasons why. However, what is realistic is this. So you need to make sure your, your measurement of success is in line. And then you need to think about KPIs, the key performance indicators. So at the end of the campaign, what is it as a venue that's going to make you really, really happy? For me, the majority of the time, it's media coverage. Mm. My clients would say, I really, you know, I would like. In fact, most of the time, my clients don't even know what it looks like because they don't know. They've never used PR before or they've not used it much before. So I would say to them, at the end of this campaign, you will have at least 30, 30 pieces of relevant media coverage. And these are the kind of publications you will be in. I can't guarantee they're going to be in those publications, but what I will guarantee is X amount of pieces of coverage. So at least by the end of that campaign, they know what they're getting from it. And I think that is completely fair as a venue owner that you say to your PR consultant or agency that you're talking to, what is it you're going to be able to um, deliver for me by the end of the campaign? That's, that's really good advice. When you talk about campaigns, when is the most effective time? I mean, I assume when you're launching a new business, you would need to have a strong campaign. I'm thinking you could also use it when things are a little flat to generate some interest. Are they the best times to, to go for it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of small businesses, especially, they don't have a lot of money. They think, I'm just going to launch. I'm going to do the best we can. And we're going to reassess in three to six months time, see how we're going. And then we might use PR then. And unfortunately, that is not the best approach. What happens in that three to six months of you existing and maybe not getting the traction you thought you, you could is you've now got consumers, maybe not having the right perception of your venue. Maybe you haven't written about your venue particularly well. You're calling yourself a gastropub on your website, on your social media, call yourself something different on your, you know, if you've pitched out to media, it's something different again. So I've had bars that I've started working with and they've called themselves a whiskey bar and they've called themselves a cocktail bar and they've called themselves a bar. So if you don't get a handle on that key messaging up front and you don't control that messaging to your consumers and media, then you're going to lose that traction you have as being a new venue. When you are new, you have a lot of currency. People, mm. online websites want to write about new venues. What mm-hmm. they don't want to write about is venues that are three to six months old. Because oh, Exactly. And that's a very frustrating thing as a, as a food writer. I understand, yeah. you know, the idea of the soft launch and flying under the radar until they've got everything in place. But then, you know, as a food writer, like you just said, you know, in two months' time, I'm not as interested. You know, the story isn't as strong then. Yeah, and you've got a number of other venues that are brand new. And, again, depending on who you're writing for and what the publication is, their goal is to give information to their readers that's going to connect with them. And most of the time their readers want to know where are the best new places to eat or does it fall into a category of, like I said, best burgers or best cocktails, etc. So, really, your strongest currency is at launch. So, I would certainly recommend that if you're considering using PR over a year, do it upfront. 
because with the, the shaping you can do at the launch can carry you through for another six to 12 months. And quite often I say to clients, let's just do three months. And if, if this works out and, and we hit everything we need to do, then you should not need to use me for another six months or nine months or something like that. There's a lot of shaping that can be done in that time. So if it is a new venue, I would recommend getting a PR person on board six weeks, at least six weeks prior to launch, mm-hmm. depending on the size of the venue and the scale of it. I often can come on board three to six months in advance because we might do a couple of teaser announcements in advance. But if you're talking about a small venue, get a PR person on six weeks in advance because they need to be controlling the imagery that gets created. They need to be controlling the messaging that gets put out there. And then they can carry through to the first couple of months of that venue being opened. So so absolutely, if it's a new venue, that's the best time to do it. If you are an existing venue and no one, maybe you used PR a couple of years ago, maybe you've never used PR and you're feeling, you know, it's a little bit flat in terms of awareness and people coming in, then you really should be engaging PR when you've got something to talk about. Mm. So if you're a brand new chef coming in and they're known, they're not well known, but perhaps they are totally going redoing the menu. So it used to be Asian fusion and now you are Italian. It's still the same name restaurant, but you're changing something significant. Then that's the time to talk about it because, again, journalists want to write about something that is engaging and by you just having a new chef coming on board and doing exactly the same menu that's not interesting enough so mm-hmm. if you are refurbing if you are totally changing a menu direction if you know you've got a marketing calendar of, of a handful of really interesting things happening over the next six months then get the PR person on board at the start so they can help you even if you are just paying more attention to uh, a couple of not food specials but you know you're going to pay attention to some days so you're really going to push on valentine's day in february you're really going to push on mother's day you want to do something in march or april and you want to make the most of travel season which kicks off in june there's four or five things that a pr person can do over six months so you need to have an idea of what it is you want to achieve and you need to have something interesting to say and the pr person should be able to give you feedback on whether that is going to resonate with media or not and again plenty of times I've said to clients that does sound great I cannot get media coverage for that or I can't get media coverage for it as it sounds at the moment but if you're willing to explore that idea I'm happy to come back to you and talk about how we can make that idea a little bit more appealing to media and therefore consumers so you want to have a a dialogue with the PR person to make the most of their expertise about what's going to connect with media. The bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, you cannot make a silk purse out of sow's ear, though. <laughs> as a PR person, agree. you know, there's so only so much you can do. Yeah. And look, I also think you can approach me, you don't have your ducks in your row, but you have to be open to that person saying to you, you're going to have to tweak a few things mm. or... I can't achieve this for this amount of money. So, Mm. you know, you're going to now have to redo your website as well. And the reason why websites are so important is that people might see you and you've got a lovely Instagram account and they click through to your website. And like we talked about before, there's, it doesn't present particularly well. So at your foundation, you really need to have a, a clean, clear, easy to use website. And that's one of the first things I look at with new clients is, you know, they may have a fantastic offering. They may have an amazing new chef coming on board. But I'll say you need to spend some time and energy and money clearing up your website first because there's no point me getting a journalist to write about your new fantastic chef if when people go through to the website it's going to look a bit crappy. So you need to be open to the PR person giving you some advice on on how best to get your message out there. 
Thank you so much. It's been so informative. It's amazing to talk to you and um, it's very generous of you to give up your time and share that expertise. There's so many great tips there that I'm sure that um, our listeners can use. You are very welcome. Thanks for having me. And there's a couple of extra bits of information on, so I've got a podcast which is dedicated to PR people, so specific for PR. However, there's lots of information on there that would really help small businesses. So if you go to the www.theprpod.com or you find that PR Pod podcast on Spotify, etc. You will see a number of episodes and episode notes dedicated to social media, to pitching to media, so things that a small business can do without any PR experience. So you might find some extra information there that will be of benefit to your business. Fantastic. Listeners, <laughs> thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. Bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review.